Hello, friends, and welcome to the Healing Ground Movement. Now, for more content and bonus features, you can join us on Facebook and Instagram. And remember, all of our content is delivered freely. So please consider supporting the show by donating via the link on our website at healinggroundmovement.com or liking and reviewing the podcast on your favorite platform. Enjoy today's episode. Hey everyone, today's episode is brought to you by ButcherBox. ButcherBox partners with people who are dedicated to doing the right thing, never cutting corners and always looking for ways to improve. Discover why they're the trusted source of high quality protein for families across the country. At ButcherBox, they believe in better. For them, that means caring about their animals and the planet, treating our planet with respect. It means improving the lives of animals and the livelihoods of farmers. And ultimately, it means better meals enjoyed together. The protein from ButcherBox is never given antibiotics or added hormones. It's humanely raised. Our family loves the convenience and quality and knowing that we are getting humanely raised and sustainably harvest protein. You can customize your box with the right amount of food and variety of meat to fit your family's individual needs. If you're interested in getting a special offer, go ahead and head to healinggroundmovement.com resources to follow the link for ButcherBox. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Healing Ground Movement podcast. I am your host, Dr. Carly Hudson. Apparently I just went Midwestern on that, but I'm your host, Dr. Carly Hudson, and joining us today from the Midwest, as it turns out, we have Bija Bennett. Um, Bija is an acclaimed author, speaker, and wellness industry pioneer whose practice focuses on the tenets of mind-body health. I am so excited to have Bija joining us today. Um, We had a phenomenal um, introductory conversation talking about some very practical groundness in breath and um, the real traditions with which this seemingly very basic um, practice came from to really appreciate the power and its uh, transformative place in our life. So Bija, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Carly. I'm I'm really honored and uh, I guess impressed and um, really appreciate the work that you're doing uh, in terms of bringing education about wellness and mind, body, health and healing to the world because we need it so much right now. So thank you so much. Thank you. I I agree. And I just, I, I love bringing, um, you know, there's nothing new under the sun is kind of what the last two years of podcasting has taught me. And a lot of what we need to understand is as humans seeking health is, how to use all these things that have become mundane and trite in our lives um, to really foster our health and our, our sense of belonging. So I so appreciate you bringing your experience with that. And, and with that, you have, um, you know, quite, that was a, a short introduction for you, for someone who has had quite a long experience in the health and wellness world. Uh, tell us a little bit about from whence you've come and where you are. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm from Chicago, but for some reason, I created a deep um, connection with India, uh, even when I was growing up and in high school. Um, you wouldn't have thought that because my parents really had nothing to do with it. Both of them were from the north and south sides of Chicago. Uh, but early on, I think I felt uh, drawn to kind of spiritual kinds of practices and spiritual things, but believe it or not, <laughs> The Beatles inspired me tremendously because at age 13, um, I started a rock and roll band with other girls and we had one of the first 
all-girl rock and roll bands in outside of Chicago, and we performed all over. But specifically their relationship to meditation, Maharishi, Mahashyogi, Transcendental Meditation, and Indian music, I then took that, it was like a trajectory for me to study um, when I was in school at UCLA. So I studied ethnomusicology, I was a dance major. Um, during that time, um, I knew what George Harrison was doing with Ravi Shankar, I was very drawn into that. Besides the philosophy of India, I studied actually meditation practices as well as the music of classical India. And after that, I met serendipitously Deepak Chopra, who was actually just starting to be involved in these kinds of practices. He was chief of staff of New England Memorial Hospital when I met him in Boston. So we kind of got together and I began working at the Ayurvedic Medical Center outside of Boston with him. That's kind of fast forward quite a bit, but I became the yoga therapist there. So I took my love of movement and dance and the philosophy spiritual aspect, and I guess I combined it in um, when I discovered yoga. Mm. So that was only after, but I was already meditating for many, many years. I started my meditation practice uh, when I was 23 years old. So many years later, it's, it's, I didn't even realize hardly what I was doing, but I knew it was important. And then I became a TM teacher and I was also then invited to India. So this whole, it just kind of started to come in this arc of my life. And it's still influenced me now as a teacher and speaker, Deepak became a mentor of mine. And, um, I guess you could say that's where I am now, but I'm really enjoyed also being in the business world and bringing some of these wellness concepts and practices to that world and being able to use kind of a different language, I guess you could say, to make these principles and practices and tools accessible for all mm -hmm. kinds of people, not just people interested in yoga or spirituality. I guess that's a lot, but I think that's what took me here. Yeah. Well, and I, th I think so often that that journey to where we arrive um, has so many serendipitous turns and all of those places of kismet where you, you just keep getting bounced onto the path where you belong. And then your story represents that so beautifully. Uh, but I like where, where you just ended here was talking about making these practices accessible. And I think that we do here in the Western world have a little bit of this myth, this bias or impression that things like med meditation or the Ayurvedic tradition or breathing practices or even yoga at its really rich beyond the asana, beyond the physical practice of it is so esoteric and it belongs to this practice of of, of the uh, the yogi, the monk, the, the, the person on the mountain. And really it, it can become so simple and part of our everyday um, practice. And in fact, that's really how it began. Um, can we kind of break that apart? D dispel that myth a little bit. Well, first off, there's a basic misunderstanding of yoga mm -hmm. in the West. Um, and that is that it's merely separate positions to be mastered. 
Mm-hmm. It's, it's not. Uh, yoga is really an ancient um, practical system, like you said, for accessing, healing, and integrating your body and mind. And then really the goal of yoga is self-realization or mm-hmm. God realization or any anything that you know, relates to your own understanding of yourself. That's really the goal of, of mm-hmm. yoga. And then there's a subset of yoga called yoga therapy. And although it's not a separate field, you know, along our life's journey, we have back problems, sleep issues, digestive distress, possibly uh, anxiety or depression. And because life always throws us challenges. So yoga therapy is the approach whose goal is actually to manage these symptoms, to bring us, um, I guess you could say, more joy, positivity, um, peace, confidence. So there are tools, as you said, beyond the asanas, so postures, breathing practices, um, sounds, uh, body locks, uh, reading of texts, uh, chanting, all of these kinds of, and pranayama, which is breathing, conscious breathing, were all designed originally. This is a 5,000 year old science. Mm-hmm. So obviously people in India, it originated in India. It's not Indian. Yoga itself is a non-sectarian science because in every culture, there are sounds, movements, rituals, kinds of practices. So this is kind of really just a model mm-hmm. for the understanding, the full dimension of -hmm. the human system. And I believe that yoga and yoga therapy created the first model thousands of years old to understand this full dimension of the human system where we can create these kinds of practices. They're extremely practical because that's what our lives are. So Mm -hmm. I think the myth might've come from the fact that gurus or you know people from India who did not speak our language came and they looked very unusual. Many of them wore robes and things like that, but that really doesn't have anything to do with the actual practices and tradition from where it came. It was always considered something to be practical and to help us through our stages of life, Mm-hmm. And if there's any distress or anything that we need to, um, I guess, I guess issues that we deal with, and they all don't always have to be bad. It can be for mm-hmm. celebrations as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I think part of my life uh, has been dedicated to uh, sharing with people the practical value, as well as, gosh, this it it it's easy. Mm-hmm. But it does require some learning, like anything, like a language or anything like that that you do. But when you do it, it can be easily become part of your life and your your practices as you know, and your personal rituals uh, for mm-hmm. for health and wellness. Well, and I really love, you know, as, as you're breaking all this down and, and some of the myth is that, uh, but the, this phrase you use, this non-sectarian science, that the root of a lot of what we practice, and, and I see these themes in a lot of our conversations throughout the podcast too, is that 
you know, we, we've talked about yoga and different traditions of yoga. And then we've talked about different traditions of martial arts or dance or, you know, a variety of movements and meditation practices and transcendental. And when it comes down to it, underneath all of these traditions, all of these practices, there is, as you said, a non-sectarian science. There is the basis for what we need. And then we can find a tradition that speaks to us and a model through which we want to learn it, you know, so that we can appreciate and dive in without appropriating just the appearance of this practice. Going deep, there is so much more. I think what you brought up also is is very important. What I'm hearing mm-hmm. is that these practices can be um, accepted or embraced by anyone, no matter what age or tradition or race or culture, um, because they are based in the human being itself. So, and the practices from what I learned from my teachers, must be adapted to the needs of the individual. So in contemporary yoga, everybody goes to a yoga class and we get the same class. But in ancient India and even in yoga therapy, every individual there is completely different. If you're walking down the street, each person is a different age. They may have back problems. Somebody may have um, sleep issues or other physiological issues. You really, according to the yoga tradition, the kinds of practices or yoga that um, they should or can or would help them the most, that kind of practice needs to be personalized for that individual. Thanks to the West, you know, we've semi-trivialized it without making too much of a judgment, but... The yoga classes out there are very generic uh, for mostly they're focused for younger people who have no risk to the body. But Mm -hmm. as you grow older and you have certain issues going on, Mm -hmm. you you must adapt everything from the postures to breathing practices. Not everybody should get the same breath practice. Even the kinds of meditation and rituals need to be for to, to be the most effective, I think it has to relate to you as mm-hmm. a person and not just be something that somebody picked out from a book and taught it in their class. Or, you know, if it, even if it worked for the teacher, it doesn't necessarily mean that it works for you. So I love that idea of personalization. Yeah. And I, I think that really speaks to and I, and I do want to be clear, kind of as we were talking about um, these traditions and um and our ability to to take on what speaks to us is that I, what I'm speaking to specifically is that things like personalizing your practice to meet your body where it's at in its own place of health and aging and any other aspect that comes along. And the things that we so often consider like um, focusing our attention, breath work, movement, nutrition, all of these pieces, um, I I do, I just, I love this phrase here, are non-sectarian science. And what that allows us to do is find a practice that we can take on um, respectfully, that we don't need to appropriate, we don't need to feel that we own any particular practice, but really to find one that does speak to us and that we can engage with respectfully. Um, so also, you know, I was just going to say that also, in addition to that, um, practices change over time. Mm-hmm. 
So how I'm feeling today, maybe I have tomorrow um, an argument with someone or my boss or spouse or something. And, you know, I need to deal with that. So I have to be able to perhaps the first thing you said is, you know, tuning into what your body or your mind or emotion mm-hmm. state is, and then choosing something from your bag of practices and tools mm-hmm. that is appropriate for you right this moment. Mm-hmm. I love that. And and so in that vein, um, it's something that we talked about, and, and you you have all of your work in, in the breathing matrix um, to talk about. You know, everyone says, you know, use your breath, return to your breath. And it's a, it's a very trendy thing these days yeah. to, to chat about. Um, but there are so many really practical ways. And I'm hoping that you can share with us um, some of those bags of tricks and where we might use them. Uh, trick, that tricks in your bag. There's the language. Um, how we can use them and how we might navigate the idea that today I need focus, tomorrow, or, you know, tomorrow I'm sluggish, I need energy, um, more than just the use your breath. I'm like, uh, how? What, what do we yeah. do? That's right. Well, it, interestingly enough, <laughs> breathing is the new trend. Mm-hmm. And I'm hugely a fan of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's probably one of the oldest practices there is. I mean, as a practice, because breathing is automatic, as everybody knows. Yeah. We don't need to think about it. But the moment we think about it, we, as we become conscious of it, the breath changes. Mm-hmm. You can even try that now. The moment you're aware of your breath, you know, some people will take a deeper breath or they'll, now we're watching the breath or we're paying attention to it at least for a second or two. Mm-hmm. And that's where these exercises come from. So the yogis back thousands of years ago uh, realized that the quality of our breathing has dramatic effects on our body and mind. And now it's research. You know, back then there wasn't scientific research. There was research through paying attention to uh, as the teacher or master learned by observing someone when they came in to for help, what their breathing was, what was the quality of the breath, what was the sound of the breath. Um, and how that related to the emotional state or the physical state of that person. So there's a direct relationship between the quality of our breathing and our emotional state or our physical state. And and we can refine that even more. So these practices really are all about, um, I guess, a certain strategies, I guess you could say, of awareness to the breath. And then understanding that there are hundreds of ways of um, using the breath, Mm -hmm. uh, different kinds of ratios of the breath, different places where the breath comes from, uh, how you bring your attention to the flow of the breath. So these practices come from the tradition of pranayama. Um, Really, it means the extension ayama of life force or prana. So it's more than just breathing. Um, One of the greatest secrets of yoga is the breath, Mm -hmm. because immediately when you alter or change or do something with the breath uh, Mm -hmm. in one way or another, the effects on the brain are immediate. The effects Mm -hmm. on the physiology are immediate. So 
I, I've paid a lot of attention to this model from um, both the Ayurvedic and yoga tradition called Panchamaya, meaning five layers. So we're not just a set of biochemical processes. We're a, we're a structural, we have a skeletal system, muscles, joints. This is our structural body. We also have a physiology of um, our autonomic nervous system and uh, our digestive system, the, all our cardiovascular system. So all of that is in the realm of uh, what this, the ancients called pranamaya and that our mind and our senses, our behavior and our spiritual life are all of our five dimensions according to the ancient yogis. And they developed practices and tools to refine each one. Pranayama or conscious breathing uh, is a tool that is used to change or be aware of the physiology and the autonomic nervous system. So depending on, like you said, whether you need more energy or you need to calm your energy, those are two different major ideas that just the inhale and the exhale by emphasizing one more or the other, and I hope I'm not getting too technical. Oh, this is perfect. But by increasing the length of the inhalation and sometimes the pause after inhalation in relationship to the exhale, we can naturally and gradually increase our energy, our prana or life force and build, nourish our system. If we do the opposite and we focus on the exhalation and the hold, the uh, suspension of breath after exhale, and I could maybe do something with everyone. If we focus on that and emphasize that more, that has what's called a lungana effect. It's a reducing effect. It's a calming effect and helps us, if we want, to create just even through maybe doing eight breaths, you will absolutely feel the effects of repeating a sequence of breath work, I guess we could call it, for that practice that might be even just five minutes. So you can really affect your physiology, but you have to make the choice mm -hmm. what you want to do, or you can have a yoga therapist there or a doctor like you to give someone a practice if they can see that's what they need for now. Mm -hmm. Or you can even do something, this is obvious, when you wake up in the morning, you need to get going and build your energy for the day and focus. When you want to go to sleep, naturally we want to calm the system. So less television or <laughs> reading or activity in the mind. But if we use the breath, we can do that slowing down of the breath through lengthening the exhalation and pause for five or six or seven or eight breaths. And that will calm the mind and the body. Mind, body are connected. Mm -hmm. And that will help us prepare for a restful night's sleep. So it's a very practical mm -hmm. um, 
science, I guess you could say. Yeah. And it's, and it's right there. It needs no accessories, no problem, no, nothing to buy to do. And, and all you're talking about here is the very simple ratio. That, that was one of the pieces that you mentioned, the ways that we can affect our breath. Um, the ratio between inhale and exhale and understanding either the observed science that has been happening for hundreds of years or now there is, you know, tested metered science with looking at heart rate variability and oxygen perfusion and all these effects on our different systems. However you want to measure it or observe it, the fact of the matter is, is that focusing on the inhalation part of the breath, just to sum up with what you said, Bija, um, brings that energy higher and that prolonged exhalation part of the breath reduces, brings calmness and you have this very powerful tool at your disposal the moment you think of it. Absolutely. I've, I've written a lot about this. I, back in 1993, I wrote a book called Breathing Into Life. And um, it was written in poetry form. Uh, it's still available now, Breathing Into Life. But I, I find there's so you mentioned something called the breathing matrix. This is kind of a pilot program I'm working on now based on those five dimensions of the human system. And also the practices of, or tools of yoga that came out of these uh, or were realized, uh, cognized by the ancient medicine men and women to help refine these different aspects of ourselves. And the first one is moving with the breath. So there's a direct relationship between uh, the flow of our breath and the movement of our spine. As a chiropractor, this is probably something you're so well aware of, but <laughs> most of us aren't. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, if you could forget your idea of yoga and going into a position, because the way I teach this and I, I tend to not want to almost call things yoga because everybody has a mindset of what they think it is uh, because it might not be what you think but the way we've taught from the vini yoga tradition that's the uh, application of yoga that I learned from my teacher TKV Deskachar that as you move uh, there's a direct relationship between the breath and the movement and your movement. And when you initiate your movement with the breath, then you are linking your attention to the movement of your spine via the breath. That's a very, very powerful experience. Mm -hmm. And then as you use the breath, you can lengthen the inhale if you want as you move and hold and exhale as you move your arms down and pause. So during the practice of asana or posture, as you move and link the breath, then the asana becomes even more powerful. So it's, it's, like, um, I, I, it's like a time-released kind of <laughs> capsule that you take, you know? And, yeah. Um, so... The asana, you have to do, you don't even have to do as much. You don't need to run around and sweat. Actually, if you just do a forward bend, lengthening the inhale and ex exhale and become doing it slower and slower, you might start sweating. As sl The slower you go, the harder it is. It's true. I always tell my patients, we can do anything fast, but to do something slow and methodical and really challenge 
the coordination and organization of all of our systems, I mean, that's where we really start to see this, this powerful change where we get to break down habits. And isn't that what we're trying to do in the pursuit of health is break down the habits that don't serve us to replace them with ones that do. Exactly. Well, the relationship between movement and breath, the focus of that or the goal of that, I guess you might say, is to um, create new uh, neurological pathways and new ways of moving um, that are more beneficial. Mm -hmm. Uh, So many times, for example, I'm just using the contemporary yoga of someone pushing you a little further. But if Rather than having any of that in your Mm -hmm. mind about a posture, think of it as a movement, because as you inhale and exhale and repeat that movement and breath, the body naturally wants to extend or stretch more or not, because you're moving in and out. You're flexing, extending. It's a natural PNF, Mm -hmm. proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation, is built into this whole process of the relationship between movement and breath. So that's the first uh, part of the five, um, I guess you could say pronged breathing matrix. So what I want to teach people is how to link the breath with the movement of the spine and how to be aware of the breath. And then the second one I call recovering breath. So moving with breath is first and recovering breath. And there's no, it's not a linear thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but understanding then, as we talked about earlier, uh, of how the breath, how choosing different aspects of the breath to focus on or lengthening the breath or even alternate nostril breathing, all the different techniques and components of breath, using them to uh, affect, uh, to directly influence the autonomic nervous system to either create a sympathetic response, so there's creating more energy and activity in the in the body mind, or to uh, using a particular emphasis of the breath or the techniques or combination of techniques uh, and ratios to calm the system and create a more uh, sympathetic, parasympathetic response. So recovering breath, learning about the autonomic nervous system, learning about how breath can affect uh, that and how you can choose um, to create very powerful, I guess, health, uh, you know, changes in your body and mind, using it however you wish during the day, as you're sitting in the office, you need a break, you're just zoomed out, you know, (laughs) it's fatigue and you need to recover. I mean, there's no way you're going to be attentive and engaged unless you recover somehow. Breathing is like the thing you can do almost immediately. Mm-hmm. So that's the second aspect. And, and I just want to draw attention to a piece that you said that I think is um, kind of a hidden gift of, of breath work. And that is when you pointed out that it's nonlinear. And that I think so often, um, particularly in the way that that time and chronology are talked about in our world, it's this idea of an onward motion, very linear, very, we're headed forward, past and future, neither the two shall meet. And when we start to look at breath and we start to look at the inhale and exhalation and the circular pattern and your, your language, I love with using the moving of breath and the recovery of breath. 
it creates a circle. It creates this neither beginning nor end, but simply a place of where you are within your moment of, are you in a moment of creating excitement and raising that autonomic nervous system that, you know, getting, getting your heartbeat going higher, or are we in a moment of recovery? And it lets it be this constant circle of choice rather than up, I missed my exit. Guess I'll keep plowing along. Too bad. Oh, I love that. Um, Really, and th- these, what's interesting, it's it's whatever we need right now um, yeah. because there's so much research now on the situations we've been in, the pandemic, uh, I'm sure um, was a catalyst for some of this and some of the stress and the, um, I guess, you know, the disappointment and unhappiness and being alone and, a rising depression or all of these kinds of symptoms that have come from uh, some of the circumstances that we've all been part of, uh, myself included. Um, you know, it's been a little bit of a rough time. Um, I may, I'm going to say now, um, I had COVID in November of last year. I don't know how I got it. I was so careful. Um, I had had some surgery uh, that perhaps had lowered my immune system that I was more vulnerable, but I have to tell you, and this directly relates to our conversation, I had been practicing the recovering breathing practices, but I had also been building um, myself uh, and my system through these practices over a long period, over many, many months Mm -hmm. during COVID, I mean, during the pandemic when we were all alone and I was doing a lot of practicing of this. Also using breath uh, to enhance the mind through meditation uh, and I created breathing rituals. These are all part of the breathing matrix. I must tell you, I did get COVID. I was very sick, I but I had absolutely no respiratory issues whatsoever. None, zero. I was, <clears throat> I was out. I must say, I um, I was by myself. I couldn't eat. I it was not fun. Uh, I was in a lot of pain, but it passed, and I never had a breathing problem. And the only thing I can think of the reason for that was because I had been practicing pranayama, breathing practices, meditating with it, using the recovering breath. I couldn't move and breathe but I could pay attention to my breath, even when I was sitting in bed. So that's, I'm just telling everybody that if you actually take this to heart, Mm -hmm. this is one of the most powerful yoga practices there is. Even if you do something a couple of minutes a day of just bringing your attention to the breath, all I can tell you is that was my experience, mm-hmm. and I'm just grateful for, you know, knowing the teachers that I knew, having the practices handy, and uh, what what I did unknowingly was prepare myself for um, having to go through a very difficult time. But I got through it, and I'm 100% sold on breathing as a tech, a major technology for uh, health and healing. 
in our age right now. Thank you for sharing that. And and what a beautiful personal experience. And just what I love about that story is, you know, not only is it illustrating the power of breath, but it's also, you know, showing what, when we look at practices that are within our own body, within our own physiology and our, you know, what we can pay attention to, it changes our personal uh, experience and our responsibility to our health. It put you in the driver's seat. It gave you something that you could do um, to help and support your body. And, you know, we have to be careful, particularly, you know, on, on health podcasts that's, you know, got, got a doctor who can give advice on it. It's like, this is not prescriptive, <laughs> but what it is and what we can talk about is instead of having breath as prescriptive, you know, take five breaths a day, you know, to cure your whatever. What it's going to do is engage with your body, with your personal physiology to bring things that are out of balance, to bring your nervous system or your cardiovascular system or your digestive system into either more of that rest and recovery arena or into more of a, you know, let's get up and at it arena. Um, And then you will see how health outcomes from that. I experienced that in my own breath work around IBS, calmed and and focused on my breath to reduce those symptoms around asthma and similarly around my own COVID experience and having that trigger my asthma, but pulling me back into balance with a more attentive breath work. I've also seen patients reduce their blood pressure with breath work. Again, it's not prescriptive, but the power of how far this natural physiological practice can reach um, is far. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) Very far. It's the transformative power of breathing techniques, you know, on neurological and physiological conditions is, you know, basically just indicates that how we breathe matters. Mm -hmm. I mean, now breathing techniques are used widely they're starting to be accepted globally by athletes marathon runners during childbirth obviously um, for pain management by children now Uh, medical doctors are even prescribing it and it's also for emotional regulation Mm -hmm. and general health so i think it's a powerful therapy for mind body health it's it can be presented in an uncomplicated way and built upon and developed over time. And that's what I hope to do with the breathing matrix. I mean, the, the other areas are, you know, we can, as you learn some of these basic um, kinds of techniques and practices and do them and understand how, you know, these different aspects of the breath, as we talked about, affect you, mm-hmm. um, we can begin to add um, meditation practices that use the breath for preparation to bringing the mind to focus it on an object or to have a sound or a mantra that we repeat or practice with or um, just being out in nature and you know noticing through the five senses what you're experiencing and using the breath to enhance your attention even that, and then being able to eventually, you know, hopefully in this uh, program, to be able to guide people and help people create personal rituals for themselves using the movement and breath, the recovering breath, enhancing the mind with breath, and 
these kinds of spiritual practices all together to really create, I guess you could say, a multidimensional personal practice for themselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's really, it can be part of anything that you do, no matter who you are, what age you are. That's what I love so much. So even the elderly can use, you know, older people that can't move as well can use breath to actually release some movement uh, Mm -hmm. to make things feel better, to uh, mitigate pain. Um, It's just uh, a wonderful tool that uh, you will discover Mm -hmm. and you can have a lot of fun with it as well. So uh, there's a practice I use in breathing into life. So I had the ability to write poetry about it, but I call it elevator music. Tell us more. (laughs) But there's a technique uh, called kramas. And kramas just means, you know, it's steps. So right now, if you, as I was taking a big inhale and exhale, if you inhale normally and just exhale fully, the next time you inhale, as you exhale, exhale only half of the breath out and pause. And then the rest of the half of the breath and pause and do that again. So inhale. And then it's like you're going down the elevator from the 10th floor to the fifth floor and stop and exhale all the way down to the first floor. Now you can do it in three stages. Inhale normal. Exhale, pause. Exhale, pause. Exhale, pause, and then inhale again. What we're doing is we're gradually lengthening the exhale. Do it again. Exhale, pause in threes. Exhale, pause. Exhale, pause. And then normal inhale. Let's try it for four stages. Exhale, a little shorter pause. Exhale, pause. Exhale. Pause, exhale, pause. Try it one more time. Inhale fully, slight pause, and exhale, pause, exhale, pause for two seconds, exhale, pause, exhale, pause. And then just bring your breath back to normal very simple. I could feel it as I was doing it. That's mm-hmm. six, six breaths, very calming. I call it elevator music, but it, it's called kramas and you're breathing in stages. You can reverse it mm-hmm. to build the energy as you were saying. Inhale, pause, inhale, pause, inhale, pause. That What you're doing naturally is using kind of a trick <laughs> or a technique to lengthen one aspect of the breath. You could probably do it for both. Inhale, pause, inhale, pause, inhale, pause. Exhale, pause, exhale, pause. It depends, that will balance Mm -hmm. the body-mind. That's a very simple. Oh, thank you so much, Rashad. What a treat. I didn't know that you were going to 
Oh, thank you. Um, to, to <laughs> I didn't know either. <laughs> really practical one. And I love that. I do. Um, I haven't tried that, that pausing as a way of lengthening either the inhale or the exhale, uh, but certainly that progression. And so I was, I was doing it with you as, as you were instructing us and our listeners. And I, I hope um, our listeners did follow along as well. If not, you know, rewind, go back to it. Um, and I just have to say, I feel so collected to my center. Not only do I feel calmer and and more present. I mean, I, I always love recording podcasts. Makes me just really calm and happy. Um, but the, it sharpens my focus, and so that's that mental aspect of it. But to you know, we haven't talked as much about the physical specifically, but you've certainly mentioned it. Um, is to feel that kind of physicality of my center, to feel my diaphragm as it releases and pause, releases and pause, releases and pauses, you get to know your body in a kind of a more intimate and collected way rather than a mindless breathing in your upper ribs. And now we just have neck tension that dropping down to feel yourself physically differently opens that opportunity of how do you want to hold yourself? Where is your strength coming from? Is it settling lower? And that's what I am really, uh, pun intended, and sitting in um, to feel that strength from dropping the awareness of my breath as well. Dropping it too. Yes. Well, I that aspect of moving with breath, you know, mm-hmm. can help develop different neurological patterns, neuromuscular patterns. Mm-hmm. I mean, and um, help us stand up straighter, be able to move clear. Sometimes I take a walk. I mean, we're just doing practical things right now. Mm -hmm. Um, As you walk, you can take a walk outside and inhale two, three, four, five steps, exhale two, three. You know, I I practice these things. You know, you could inhale and I wouldn't suggest holding the breath while you're walking. (laughs) You can certainly find that sometimes maybe you could inhale a little longer and do 10 steps and then exhale or notice what your body wants and use it as a fun little practice as you're taking your walk or just simply being with the breath is okay too. You know, there's a mindfulness practice of, um, which by the way is very important. Um, I have found um, it's a kind of a Buddhist practice. Thich Nhat Hanh recommended it for grief because when there's so much pain, sometimes this emotional pain associated with loss, we're in our mind a lot thinking about things, and this cannot just be for that, but particularly for this, that just putting our attention on the breath and being aware really delicately of our breath brings our attention into our body, which is what you said. And sometimes that's all we need to just take an edge off of feeling, you know, this, these so many mind things that are going on for us. And we didn't really talk about mental health, but this is running rampant right now with everyone. Yeah. I don't think there's one person who's escaping, you know, the understanding of some sort of situation, um, whether it's impatience even or anything like that that's not a mental health problem but you can really alleviate emotional and physical and mental you know symptoms through this powerful powerful practice 
um, of breath. And of course, that I would recommend you see a yoga therapist or you know psychologist to know what your situation is. Of course, this, as you said, this is not a, a substitute for you know any Western therapeutic modalities, but it can be used along with and in complement to uh, any kinds of situations or medication or or anything like that. But I find that just simply just being mindful of your breath sometimes is, is can be a powerful technique in and of itself. Yeah, and I, and I think this is a great um, great piece as as we wrap up to talk about you know the the this point of we have these tools we can use and understand these tools as far as ratio of breath where we're feeling our breath there there are so many ways to demystify and and you've done a beautiful job creating resources for that but there is a point as well when we need to ask for help and we need guidance and we need pieces like that yoga therapy and understanding the difference between going to a yoga class and you know doing the the in-depth work of of yoga therapy and the possibility of going even further uh, you know with that modality as well absolutely i i'm you know in yoga therapy a therapist really is trained to listen kind of how you do when you're speaking with someone uh, and to understand what's really going on on a variety of levels with the other person. Um, That's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And then from that arises ideas. Uh, But but the therapist, you know, the real goal or intention of a yoga therapist is to bring self-empowering tools, you know, to reduce are this condition or any kind of suffering in mm-hmm. in the human being uh, and improve the quality of, of that person's life, um, you know, and to influence change for the better. But the real person that makes the change is you. Mm-hmm. The person that comes to the yoga therapist, why did you come in the first place? And uh, really it's, you that makes the change because you're the one that's going to do the practice. It's not a pill that you take. It's, these are just suggestions. And many of the suggestions actually arise out of your own interests or needs. Mm-hmm. And that's the job of a yoga therapist is to listen and to understand this full spectrum of that person and then help them, guide them with practices over a period of time. So I think, you know, this is a new, new era of health and wellness as the Global Wellness Summit is talking about. And I believe that these practices coming from yoga and yoga therapy are, I'd say, the most powerful new and ancient uh, healing interventions. So I I appreciate, uh, you know, the opportunity to be able to share this with everyone. Yeah. Well, and I, I love, um, it's, it's new and ancient and, and isn't, it, it feels to me that that's, that's the future of healthcare is to, um, to really have this opportunity where any patient can seek help and guidance, where it is a, a counseling and a directive and a very personal, uh, place of engagement where you are making the choices about how you are investing in your health. Uh, this becomes health care, not disease management, which we are so entrenched in, in, in our Western world and in the American um, health care system is really a disease management system. You know, how can we outsource our symptoms and our pains 
to, to providers who will make them less so versus this healthcare and personal investment of what can we do for ourselves? And that, that really feels like the, the future of healthcare to me. And as you put, it is new and ancient. There, there's nothing new under the sun, um, I mean, but it's, it's about time we yeah. start valuing it. <laughs> I mean, the great news about the ancient part is that it's been studied over thousands of years. Yeah. yeah. I mean, everybody had to breathe. Everybody had a body. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a knee. Everybody has a mind. Everybody has a liver. You know? And so, and all of these things are at, happening at the same time to make up who we really are. And, and these, I, that's why, I mean, to me, yoga is, is the understanding of, of the whole human being mm-hmm. and our relationship to others as well as to our world. And these, these practices are really only to help us um, be more attentive, I guess, and to live a higher quality of life and, um, you know, bring more joy and peace and it, it's uh, to ourselves and to others and, and to learn as much as we can about ourselves and our relationships. And I, that's why I, to me, it's, it's an exquisite art and science, uh, the real yoga and um, again, I just appreciate the opportunity to be able to share some of these ideas that I have and my experiences with it. Okay. Well, Vijay, thank you so much for joining us and and sharing your wealth of experience and and you know your your future vision for for all that we have to come. Uh, where can our listeners find more about you and find more of your resources? You can go to my website bijab.com which is b i j a b.com and there's lots of videos and blogs i uh, created a wellness audit audit your wellness in those five dimensions that we talked about today so you can take your own little quiz and you know find out which of the dimensions that might be um, something that you need to focus on now more than other times and you can keep taking this. And then I do give you uh, many different resources and, and tools uh, based on what your score is. So, I mean, it's my joy to, to share all of this. And I'm also working uh, as a consultant to develop uh, content for companies uh, and groups. And I love to speak. So if there's anyone out there that's interested in that, I'd be thrilled to hear from you. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for all of these resources. Do check out Bija and her incredible um, uh, history of work and and the ways that she can help you and your company um, thrive and experience more resiliency through some really simple, um, beautiful practices. Thank you all for joining us again today. Um, I hope there was something here very practical that you can take away and start playing with um, just in your life, taking control of your breath and adding some direction to your health. Uh, I'm Dr. Carly Hudson. I am happy to have these conversations and share these with you week by week. We'll see you next Monday for another episode of the Healing Ground Movement podcast. Be well. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard and got a little something out of it. Now remember, the information expressed in these interviews is for informational and not diagnostic or treatment purposes. However, I hope you find that having the right information and resources can go a long way to helping you on your healthcare journey. Ask the right questions and seek out professional help.